never give a client what they ask for or expect. You know, if you sell yellow cakes and you give someone a tremendous yellow cake, you still only give them what they bloody asked for. Mm -hmm. So if someone asks for a yellow cake, give them a yellow cake, but then give them loads of little red and yellow ones at the bottom and maybe a blue one on the side and stick it in a big pink bow. Go beyond. Give clients more than what they ask. That's how you build loyalty. That's how you repeat, repeat business, branded. Never give a client what they ask for. Give them what they lust and desire for. That's your job. That's your commitment. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. And today, as usual, but more so than usual today, <laughs> we have a super, super special guest. I'm sure that everybody's going to be um, edified. They're going to learn a lot of things um, about business, but also about themselves. Mm -hmm. But more so, they're going to be wildly entertained because this is a person who I met recently. I've been, I haven't been in relationship with him for very long, and you actually just met him in the pre-show. Mm -hmm. um, but, oh my gosh, I super love um, talking to him. I love um, what he brings to the table because he makes everything so fun, and I am a big believer in having fun. I don't think that people should take their lives too dang seriously. So let's welcome in Steve Sims. He is the author of Blue Fishing. Um, I want to start there, though. I know this um, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <laughs> but what the heck is blue fishing, Steve? God knows. Um, <laughs> it, it, literally, it wasn't supposed to be anything. Um, anyone that knows anything about me and those that don't soon will – I started throwing private parties and I gave people passwords to get in. And one of the passwords I used to use was finish this sentence, one fish, two fish, red fish. And they would walk up to the dorm and go, blue fish, and they'd be let into the party. If they were a prick and they had an ego and they wouldn't actually say the password, then they couldn't get into the party. So that's how the whole thing started. But people contacted us after our parties got pretty well known in Hong Kong. And they were saying, hey, are you that bluefish company? Oh. And we'd be like, we'd be like, uh, all right. So we, we never we never tried to be. In fact, that a lot of people aren't aware, my company was called Trianon. It wasn't called Bluefish, but we'd obviously used this password so many times <laughs> that people would contact us and go, hey, you're that that bluefish company. And one of the things that we did was we always we always had a philosophy. Never give a client what they ask for or expect. You know, if you sell yellow cakes and you give someone a tremendous yellow cake, you still only give them what they bloody asked for. Mm -hmm. So if someone asks for a yellow cake, give them a yellow cake, but then give them loads of little red and yellow ones at the bottom and maybe a blue one on the side and stick it in a big pink bowl. Go beyond. Give clients more than what they ask. That's how you build loyalty. That's how you repeat, 
repeat business, branded. So never give a first nugget of the show. Never give a client what they ask for. Give them what they lust and desire for. That's your job. That's your commitment. So we would always throw a party and then halfway through the party, and I'm not kidding here, pull up a load of buses, shove everyone on the bus and take them to a different destination. We would surprise them or have them turn up at a location where there'd be buses waiting for them and then take them to a secret venue they didn't know about. So we would always go above and beyond. So people would contact us and go, hey, you know, I got into a party but then I decided to bluefish the hell out of it and I got backstage or I brought in a celebrity or I threw. So all of a sudden, this bluefishing became a mindset, became an adjective, became an action. And people used to contact us going, hey, I could have thrown my, my daughter's birthday party, but I thought, hell, I'm going to bluefish the hell out of it. And it became this mindset. Um, and it wasn't supposed to be anything, but we certainly got very happy when we see people starting to use it as an adjective to actually taking it further beyond. I got to tell you, one of the things that struck me to my core in your book was this idea that people dilute their wildest dreams when they talk about them or they tell you about them. And I'm, I, I'm thinking to myself, number one, my first thought is, do I do that? Like my first thought is, oh my gosh, like how often have I gone into a conversation or met somebody and they ask me, what do you do all this for? What do you wake up for? And I, I dilute what I'm actually going after. And so this idea of blue fishing also, I think it allows you to expand or give them permission to, to talk about what they really want, right? After they experience that. Isn't it a shame? But it's, it's true, yeah. isn't it? You can go up to someone and you can... If you, if you hit them hard and fast, just walk up to someone in your office, in your arena, in your, your world, and go up to them and go, hey, Tina, if you could do anything in the planet, what would it be? Now, anything. And you really don't give them a chance to think. They'll turn around and they'll, they'll say something quick, like, I don't know, uh, play piano with Elton John. And they'll say that quickly in like two seconds. And then they'll spend the next 60 seconds why giving you reasons why it can't be done. They'll go, oh, I want, I, I want to play piano with Elton John, but uh, I, I can't really play piano. And I, I don't know Elton John. Why the hell would he want? I wouldn't know where to start. We spend way more time and effort and energy saying and dictating why it can't be done rather than focusing on how to make it happen. And it's just a natural thing we do. So I always thought to myself, Shout out, blur out, what it is you want to do, then shut up. Mm. Let it sink in. And that's what I've always done. Also, the other thing that bothers me is that there's this word in the English language or in the world language that should be removed. It should be illegal. And I am, I am very conscious of how the world would change if we removed this one word. And I'm sure you know what that word is already, impossible. Mm. Just imagine if we moved it away from our vocabulary. Because how many people go, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go for the impossible. Why? Why would you go for a brick wall? Why would you go <laughs> for a dead end? Why would you go for something that you've already stated and clarified that it can't happen? Mm. Why would you do that? Why would you acknowledge something 
can't be done. No matter which frame you put in it, I'm going to go for the impossible. I'm going to make the impossible happen. The second you use that word, you've given it, you've given it validation. Mm. Okay, you've given it proof. I'm going to go for the impossible. Oh, it didn't happen. Oh, well, what did you expect? It's impossible. Now, me, I'd go for the stupid. <laughs> Seriously, I, I absolutely do. You know, we know about me working with the Pope. We know about me working with Elon Musk. We know about me closing museums down. For anyone that doesn't, buy the book or turn up at the wonderful event going on later on this year. Be there, and I'll tell you more of these stories. But I go for things that are so ridiculous, you're going to laugh at me. You're going to ridicule me. And those things I can accept. But the second I say it's impossible, I validated it to me that it can't be achieved. So I go for things that are so ridiculous, you are going to tear up. Because, and I'll name drop here, Elon Musk said to me, they'll always laugh at you just before they applaud. I want my goals, dreams, aspirations to be so ridiculous, you're going to mock me. And then guess what? How many times has someone laughed at you and you've gone, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm going to prove. So I love people laughing at me. I love people mocking me. I love people ridiculing. I love people going, you can't, you're just full of heart. You can never do that. Thank you for the fuel that's going to make me make it happen. Cheers, mate. <laughs> I, I love that. I'm, I, I, I think that that's such an impactful like perspective shift um, because it's either you get to wake up and say, I'm going to do something so ridiculous. People are going to laugh at me or you get to wake up and say, that sounds ridiculous and laugh at yourself. And that effectively kills that dream right away. Right. Or that thing you're going after. So I would much rather have people mocking me than me mocking my own dreams. Well, seven minutes in, I think more or less, um, Stealing the show, Steve Sims. He's the author of Blue Fishing. Yes. Get the book on Amazon. As he already said, he's going to be speaking at summer camp, www.cometosummercamp.com here in Indianapolis. It's going to be phenomenal. He has pulled off amazing things for other people and for himself. Yep. I wanted then now as the story resets here, Steve, a lot of people might say, look, okay, so Elon Musk, obviously you've had conversations with him. You must be in relationship with him. That must obviously make your life super easy. You're benefited, you're privileged, um, but that's not the case. Um, talk to us about how this whole thing started. You weren't always, you didn't, your, your father wasn't a, a movie star. And so he <laughs> connected you with, with people of affluence or influence. You had a very humble beginning and you learned this stuff like everybody else who's listening to the podcast. Yeah. Um, I left school at the age of 15, East London. And uh, two days after leaving school, my dad said, right, you're on the building site now. Um, this is your life. You know, welcome. Uh, and that was it. And like all entrepreneurs, I was aggravated. I, I, I was bothered. I was pissed off. And we don't know what it is that's bothering us, but we know something isn't right. Now, this was back in the 80s for me. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm 54 years old. But back then, I didn't have Instagram and Facebook to show me how inadequate my life was. But I knew something in me wasn't right. I knew I was destined for something else. 
So I went to try and find out. I tried a lot of jobs. I tried and I failed and I was fired. Uh, tried to do a lot of things. They didn't work. But these gave me education. If we understand the ladder of success, you you fail. Those failures become education. Education becomes experience. Experience becomes credibility. Credibility is confidence. That's what gives you your status. If you miss out on the first bit, if you ignore those failures as education, then you're spinning your wheels on ice. So I failed a lot at the beginning, and I went, eh, I've just learned what I'm not good at. I've just learned what I'm inadequate to do. I've learned where things went wrong. That learning process gives me the experience to be able to be better, to work it, to benefit it. So as I grew, I realized one big thing. I remember sitting in a bar in, a bar in a London with a, boke, a bunch of bikers, and we were all broke. And I realized that I was part of this room. I was a cog in this room. If everyone else in this room was a broke-ass biker, by default, that's what, I, that's, that's what I was. So I realized very early on, change the room. Now, we've got social platforms. We've got magnificent events like your wonderful event. We've got all of these events where we can change the room. We can be in rooms full of creative, creative disruptors, people that don't want to sell, people that aren't willing to accept what's been told of them and have their misconceptions and inabilities and inadequacies forced on us to comply with, we can be in rooms where we go, no, we want better for ourselves. So that's what I did. I decided I wanted to be in better rooms. I failed so much that I ended up being a doorman of a nightclub. And that position I thought was the low point of my life. And it pretty much was, but it suddenly gave me a pedestal to see how people interacted. All of a sudden, I got a degree in human psychology from the front door of a nightclub. I got to see how rich people acted. I got to see how people pretending to be rich acted. I got to see inconfidence. I got to see insecurity. I got to see the best. I got my Harvard degree from the front door of a dodgy Hong Kong nightclub. <laughs> and that gave me all the information I needed to be able to start satisfying rich people's goals, getting them into nightclub. Every rich person or every growing rich person wants to be able to walk up to the front of a club and go, hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Go on in, mate. And to just have that kind of attention, that, that acknowledgement that, hey, you don't need to wait in the line. Some people wait in the line. Let's talk about that just for a second. Mm -hmm. When you walk up to a nightclub, and this always got me, okay, there's doorman on the front of the door. That job is to look big and scary and intimidating. Okay? It's what God built me to be. I'll take the role. <laughs> but people would walk towards me, and then before having a conversation, and I don't know when the last time you went to a nightclub was, but can you remember this? You would walk towards the door, and you were faced with two decisions. One, walk up to the front door and speak to the doorman. Or two, self-select that you're the kind of person that needs to wait in line. Do you remember there was always that was always the decision? You would select your status. Mm -hmm. People would walk up to me and go, hey, how you doing? I'm looking for a table for two here with a, a bunch of my guys. And you'd go, oh, great. Beth, sort this guy out with a nice boob, a booth and make sure he gets a nice bottle on the, on the house. You know, you would be that person. 
or you go and select to wait in line. Isn't it amazing that while we're maybe a little bit older that we don't go to nightclubs anymore, we self-select where we should go in. Mm-hmm. You know, there are those that will accept a table by the toilet in a restaurant. And there are those just purely by how they've turned up will get the best table in the restaurant. And so from that door of a nightclub, I managed to get to see human psychology. And funny enough, we joked about Harvard. I got kicked out of school at the age of 15, and I've lectured at Harvard twice. Nice. So I'm quite happy about that. That's great. I know when the last time we were at a nightclub was. It was on your birthday a couple of years ago. We were with Tristan Schaub. Uh-huh. We had gone to the Orange Bowl. We were in Miami, and for somehow we ended up at a nightclub. And that was exactly what happened. We, we just, got a table we, we on just, New Year's Eve somehow. Yeah. And, I, and I, I was thinking back to like going for stupid. I think we were just too stupid to know that we were in Miami. Like we just <laughs> walked up and we were like, we're going in. And they were like, all right. Now we're getting a table. You know, do you know the funny thing is, let's label on that because that needs to be identified. My wife actually said to me years ago, my super who, a superhero power was the power of ignorance. Mm. when you're not scared to try something isn't it amazing how many times you achieve it yes but when you overthink you you basically paralyze yourself and that's when all the fear comes. i could never do oh my god it's new year's eve and i'm in miami i could never if you had got smart that evening you'd have probably talked yourself out of going for that nightclub but no (laughs) ignorance kicked in passion prevailed your desire to do something prevailed and guess what? You pulled it off. So ignorance is a superhero strength and a power. And as entrepreneurs, the most successful entrepreneurs in the, in the world, they, they basically got nine-tenths of stupidity in them. Because all the, all the time everything's falling around, all the time everything's failing, it's the entrepreneur's persistency and ignorance and passion to prevail that they end up winning. And everyone around them, and you can think of this, how many times around you have people gone, how the hell did you do that? How did you do that camp? How the hell did you get that person? But you haven't overthought, you've overdone. Mm. And that's the key of all entrepreneurs. Stop overthinking it and start overdoing it. Another gold bar. I agree. It's uh, it's crazy because like just listening to your story, what comes up for me is how many people I talk to on a day-to-day basis that are so scared and so fearful of rejection. Like they wouldn't even go up to you and say, hey, I'm, I'm coming in to get a table because they're scared you're going to say no. And that yeah. rejection is is paralyzing. So how, do, how does somebody in your experience or what you've seen, how do they overcome something like that if they're living in that paralysis and fear of, of a no being brought to them? Well, the easiest one is to get a ticket at a certain camp coming up very shortly. Summer camp. (laughs) You see, see, joking aside, I remember being sitting in that bar. Oops, sorry, my headset. I remember sitting in that bar and everyone being poor and not being able to afford too many beers and realizing that I was in the wrong room. I remember the following week, I borrowed my dad's suit that was a bit too big for me. And I went to this new thing called a wine bar that was opening up in London. And I sat in this wine bar. Now, I've been able to afford three or four beers in this pub. In this new wine bar, I could only afford like one and a half. 
So I was nursing this by now warm beer for about three hours just to change my environment. Now, there was a lot of flaky people in there, a lot of people trying to get in with rich people, of which I was one of them. But I wasn't there to get in with anyone. I was there to watch the room, to absorb the room by upping the standard, by upping my expectations. I changed the parameters of what my mind could actually do. For us to actually change what we're scared of today, we need to change the room in which we are in. You see, here's the daft thing. And I used to watch this. And again, it was one of these things that mortified me. Someone would sell that car. And all of a sudden, they'd have 10 grand cash. And they would go into the bar to the person that's never made anything of themselves and ask for a financial advice on what to do with that 10 grand. And do you know the funny thing about that? They would have an opinion. Those people that had never had cash to invest would now be giving you investment advice. Now, I have coaches. I have two very good coaches that, that push me, challenge me, and get me uncomfortable. And I listen to them because they've achieved. But how many times do we actually listen to people that have actually never achieved anything? How many times do we actually follow these influencers on social because, oh, they must know what's going on because they're leaning up against a car they can't afford? And we listen to them. So you've got to start listening to the right people, the right reasons from people that have actually achieved it. And the best entrepreneurs in the planet are failures. Because how do you achieve anything without failing? So change the room. If you're scared, so are we. So's everyone. But we don't allow it to restrict us. We allow it to challenge us. Okay? Failure is not there to define us. Is there to refine us. So the simplest advice in the planet is change the room and get in a room full of misfits, creative disruptors, the Hogwarts of weirdos, the room where people make shit happen. That's the room you want to get in. It's the only thing you've got to do. I, I love that. The idea that you talk about being a sponge. So many people think when they say, be a sponge, they think intellectually, like soak up knowledge. And I love that what you just hit on was that you can soak up experience and lifestyle and knowledge. So there's so many different things that you can learn from. And I think that's just a really amazing concept that people need to pay attention to. Well, everything looks like an opportunity. Um, you know, probably people listening to the podcast, like, oh my gosh, I need to get the book. I need to work with Steve. What do I do? People, a lot of people just go from one shiny object to the next. So when you say be in a room, uh, change the environment, um, any tips or thoughts on how people can use discernment? You spoke of having two coaches. I oftentimes say like, you know, Lacey and I went this through this little stint where we were um, big into UFC. We would go to mm -hmm. UFC fights and I would hear all of like the people like every just like you said, everybody in the crowds yelling advice, you know, go low, punch them in the head. But <laughs> the, the fighter in the ring has to know how to in the midst of all of that, how to hear that voice, that voice of his trainer, his coach, the people that he's receiving advice from. And you mentioned that you have two people in your corner. Any tips on how people can utilize discernment and understand where they should fix their focus relative to getting good sound advice? So let's play a game, shall we? I sure. love games. All right. <laughs> so I walk into a bar. It's been known to happen. 
<laughs> and you're in there. And I walk up to you and I go, hey, how you doing? My name's Steve Sims. I've worked with Sir Elton John, Elon Musk and the Pope. I'm a big deal. And I put my hand out to shake your hand. What is your truthful gut reaction on that happening if we were in a bar and I did that? That's absolute bull. <laughs> All right. You're, that you're trying to scam me. You're both feeling the same way. You're both feeling kind of repulsed, repelled by that. Not me. I would probably <laughs> shake your hand. I'm also the, the, in, the individual that would be like, well, why don't you tell me more about that then? Let's have a beer and have a conversation. And I want to start to understand if there's if there's actually truth behind that, because that's a fascinating right. story or a fascinating right. claim that you've made. All right. So claim. So there's still suspicion. You want me to validate whether or not I'm full of shit or if it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, I, that's the point of the game. Let's reframe it. Let's play a different angle. So I walk into a bar and I ignore you. Why shouldn't I? I don't know who you are. And I go to the end of the bar and I order my old fashioned and your hubby there elbows you in the ribs and goes, oh, you see that guy over there? That's Steve Sims. His words were Sir Elton John, Elon Musk and the Pope. That guy's a big deal. Now what? Another old, I would buy you another old fashioned. <laughs> The information didn't change. What did? Right. The context, the, the source. Yeah, bingo. The, a trusted, trusted source. source. Yep. It's the source. The reason, you know, as I always say, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. <laughs> the, the UFC fighter has learned to define and listen based on the source of information. Have you noticed that you've got these boxers and that mm -hmm. coach is a guy in his 90s and he's, his ears are, are cauliflowered up <laughs> and his nose is bent around to the left side of his face like a Picasso painting. Right? <laughs> that guy's been hit in the head so many times that he knows how to not get hit. He's got the experience. Sure. Okay. The point is that we need to listen to people based on the credibility and knowledge that they've received because of all the failures, mistakes that they've made. A good boxer is the one that's been, been hit in the head so many times that he now knows how not to be. Mm -hmm. Okay? I don't want to listen to a rich person because they won the lottery. I want to listen to a rich person that was broke seven times. Mm. And is that guy's got the experience I want to learn from. So when everyone's yelling at you and all of these opinions, high, low, fast, hook, guard up, move faster, move slower. When all of this information is being thrown at you, which is what's happening today, all of this noise is coming at you, all of this distraction, this distortion, these shiny objects. Hey, look at me. This is my yellow Lamborghini. For $3.99, I'll show you how you can get one. All of that shit's being thrown at you. You are responsible out, uh, to what noise you're willing to listen to. You know you need a coach. That's not mm -hmm. up for discussion. You know you need direction. You know you need to up your game, your level, your support mechanism. You know you need better. It's your responsibility to understand what noise you're going to let in by qualifying it. You're shouting at me? Hey, shout at me.
But why should I listen to you? And as you quite rightly said, why should I listen to you? Validate why your information is so good. You should listen to me because I've been poor many, many times. Okay. But also, I can text Elon Musk to the Pope and Sir Elton John. That's why you need to listen to me. You need to listen to me because on a phone call, I've had a museum in Florence shut down. I've worked for Elton John for eight and a half years. I've done this with the Vatican. I've sent people down to the Titanic. I've worked with the biggest companies in the planet. I have the credibility. Credibility is the only metrics that you need to worry about today. Not how pretty your pictures are. Not how you come across after you photoshopped a, a picture of you from a, from a jet that you don't own. Credibility. <laughs> that is the metrics and the only damn thing that we should be caring about. The rest of it, it's noise. And just let it go. So that brings up a, a great point. I mean, obviously, if anybody's read the book, that's why we didn't go into it. Just read the book. You can find out all the cool stuff that Steve's done. Um, he's on the internet. There's this thing called Google. You can find <laughs> out the cool things that he's done. Um, you know, and amazing experiences that he's mm -hmm. organized. And that's not, that's not, I'm not saying that people want to or should listen to Steve Sims because of the things that he's pulled off because there's so many other layers and depth to him. But having said that, what are, or what was the biggest attempt that you made on an experience that failed that you tried to pull off and you didn't get, what was your getting hit in the head on trying to pull off an experience for someone that didn't work out? Don't know. Don't care. Um, you see, the funny thing is you say, you say about, you know, there's more depth to Steve Sims. No, there's not. Um, I'm, I'm really not a deep person. This is as good as it gets, but I gave you a, a quick cocky answer of, um, you saying, what didn't I achieve? You know, what's the biggest thing I didn't achieve? Let me ask you this. Have you ever hit your, your thumb with a hammer or, or jammed it in a door or closed your, closed a window on it? Have you ever hurt your fingers like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did it hurt? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to do it again? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. This is this is going somewhere. So stick with me. Can you remember the pain you were in? Yes. Only one of you said yes. Yeah. I mean, I knew I was in pain. I can't remember it. Like actually, connect back to it. I can. So we're rec we're recognizing who the smartest one in the family here is. Welcome. <laughs> The bottom line of it is, you know it hurt. Your head tells you it hurt, and so not to do it again. But you can't remember the pain. Right. Mm. Okay? As human beings are built, we're not there to retain the full memory of pain because pain stops us going forward. Mm. I've got tattoos on me. I hate needles. I remember the first time I had a tattoo, I was like, my God, I am never doing that again. Until six months later, I go, oh, I'm going to get that done. Yeah, I'll be pierced there. Yeah, I'll get another tattoo. If we could remember pain, women would only ever have one child. Mm. Mm, true. Okay? So th that also goes with failure. You know? We lose a lot of money. We can't sleep at night. We can't pay our staff. You know? We're having arguments with everyone around us because we're not in a good place. And then all of a sudden we learn from that and we, we go forward, okay? 
if we can hold on to that pain and actually that stops us going forward. So the bottom line of it is, can I remember any of the times I failed? No, I can't. Because when I failed, those things translated into education so that it didn't happen again. Have I had moments where I've not been able to achieve what I went for? Absolutely. But were they failures? No, they weren't. They were education on what didn't work or how badly I asked the question or how inadequately I made it a benefit for them to help me have what I want. You see, the bottom line of it is, every time things go wrong, that's where the gold is. That's where the best. Don't talk to a successful person about being successful. Talk to a successful person on what that biggest education. Had your question been, what was the biggest growth you got? What was the best education you got from a downward moment? I'd have been able to answer that. If you ask me what was the biggest failure you had, I don't know. Because we'll, we'll I ask, reframed it. We'll ask the we'll ask the education side inside of the Black Diamond there we Club. Go. <laughs> when we wrap up here, we're gonna go into the membership group and we'll we'll explore that with I you. have one more thing because it just gave me some insight. So it's when you're t when you're speaking about that, for most people, they're like, Well, I failed before. And so it's not the remembering of the failure, it's the story that they continue to tell themselves why they can't succeed again. So it co it's coming from here. It's not this physiological, neurological embedded, I feel this failure within me. It's the story that continues on from that failure. So you can shift the story and make it a learning process so you can sh shift the next outcome. Or you can tell yourself you're going to fail again and you'll never succeed. It's interesting. Are you, are you going to use that story to be a ball and chain or are right. you going to use it to be an educational moment? Love okay. It. You're not, you're not trying to decline. I've been broke many times, okay? I'm not trying to ignore the fact or hide the fact, but I am trying to grow from the fact. Yep. Money. I love it. The book is called Blue Fishing. It's available on Amazon. It's available everywhere. You must have been under a rock if you haven't seen it. Um, Steve is going to be speaking at summer camp, www come to summercamp.com if you've never seen him in person this is great but wait until you're like in the room imagine with the energy from stage yeah Ooh. it's going to be absolutely <laughs> unbelievable he's going to be dropping more bombs there helping you to grow as a person but to grow your business as well um any insights the majority of our viewers and listeners are going to be service providers they have a big vision they have a big passion for changing the world through whatever it is that they do, whether that's cutting hair or digital marketing or giving massages or whatever the service that they that they do. But oftentimes what gets in the way are these stories, but oftentimes the story is that they're talented in providing the service, but they don't necessarily embrace these ideas of marketing and sales and growing a business. This is something that you've done amazingly well. You have managed to monetize your skill set, even if you say there's not much depth, well, the depth that you have is worth an awful lot. You've monetized it very well. What would you say to those people who have this big vision? Um, maybe they are you in the sense that they are you back um, in the UK and, and, and you're, you're trying to sort of sort this out, like what you're going to do with your life. And you're trying to connect the dots. You can see the vision, you can see the passion, but you might feel like you don't have the tools to change the world. What would you say? So you, you, we need to break down the question a bit 
Um, and it's a fantastic question. You have got to start looking at what you do as an experience and not a transaction. You use the word service, okay? People don't go to a hairdresser to have their hair cut, okay? They go there to save themselves having to do it badly at home. They go there to have the experience of someone that for five minutes can take them out of their day-to-day world and put them into a bubble of an experience, of a, of a casual chat, nice aroma, a nice friendly environment, maybe a cool little chit-chat with a hairdresser that they've developed a bond over the years. You've got to work out, are you creating an experience or are you creating a transaction? Okay, if you're creating a transaction, then tonight over a glass of wine, write up your resume because Amazon's going to take your job because that's what Amazon does. Amazon does transactions. Okay, if you think, oh, I'm a hairdresser, you could never, you could never take my job. Have you seen robots recently? Have you (laughs) seen what they can do? What you've got to do is everything Amazon does. And everything it doesn't, in your business, ask yourself that very, very blunt question. Am I creating an emotion, an experience, a trigger? Do you walk away from my salon going, I feel brilliant. I feel 10 years younger. I feel amazing. Because funny enough, Amazon has never created that experience or trigger to me. Okay? They give me my toilet paper and my batteries. Thank you very much. But they don't give me an experience and a smile. So even if you are a software producer, if you are selling a car, if you are cutting hair, if you are creating any service whatsoever, what is the experience, the trigger, and the reaction of that person when they are using or after you have worked with them on your service? Okay? And ask yourself, am I leaving them with something or am I just leaving them with an invoice for the transaction they've completed. That's the difference. When I was working with people, I wanted to give them a smile. So as I say, I never gave them what they asked for. I gave them what they needed, they lusted for, what was challenging them. Hey, you're sitting in here, you want a slight haircut? Do you want to challenge yourself and go for something a bit new? Maybe something a bit bolder? Are you ready to do something a bit daring? You know, challenge the clients you're dealing with. Love it. That's fantastic. Hey, um, stick with us there a second, Steve. I'm going to run you over into the Black Diamond Club. Whoop, whoop. I'm going to ask about um, the lessons that you've learned. I'm going to ask about the old fashioned. Like, what is the story <laughs> on the old fashioned? Uh, we're going to dive deep with him. Um, if you want more of Steve Sims, you can just um, get his book, read the book. If you want to see him in person, like actually, like where like the spit could fly on you, you could mm. touch him. We have been doing live events the entire <laughs> pandemic because we believe in human connection. Go to www.cometosummercamp.com. You can be with us in August. We've got Steve Sims. We've got Dave Meltzer. We've got Patrick Bet David. We've got a killer lineup. It's going to be a ton of fun, and we're going to be helping you so that you can reach more people, make a bigger impact, and create the lifestyle that you desire. That's all we have for this week on the None of Your Business podcast. If you're not yet a member of the Black Diamond Club, check us out, www.blackdiamondclub.com. There you get exclusive access to all of our None of Your Business guests when we go in and we let them let loose and drop (laughs) more, more, more gold nuggets on us. We'll see you again next week.